Welcome to Lane Time Chat, episode 30. All right. I looked it up beforehand. It's very is that right? Are you moving? Yeah, Thanks. I'm moving it. But my coffee cup is here. You're really just, no. you need to angle it more if you need oh, to. Oh, angle. Okay. Okay. Ooh, messing me up over here. All right. Sorry. So today's topic is one that has been suggested um, twice now on the Discord and um, also uh, in chat you know, just in, in terms of um, like on streaming chats and that's, hey, so I've got a conling, what do I do with it? So it's about using it. And specifically, you know, past episodes have um, touched on connections between conlings and D&D specifically, but of course you can um, think about that connection with really any role-playing kind of game um, where you get to develop a world and things like that. And so there's been a strong connection between like naming languages and just getting like place and people names um, incorporated into the D&D world. But you could, of course, um, go further, there we go, um, by doing a more developed conlang uh, for D&D and doing things like including puzzles or riddles for, you know, people to figure out during the campaign uh, that they have to like figure out how to translate or whatever. And if you're interested in that, by the way, there's a whole conlangery episode on this where David, George and Joey Windsor mm-hmm. um, talk about um, ways that you can incorporate conlangs into D&D. But our listeners were like, what else? <laughs> what else can I do with a conlang? Um, if you know that doesn't interest you, or if you've already done it and you're like, well, now I want to see what else I can do um, with my conlang. And so that's what this is about. Excellent. Awesome. Uh, first know that like yeah. you don't have to do anything else. So it's not like this episode is telling you like you've made a conlang, you must do something with it. Um, instead, a lot of conlangers just, you know, create conlangs for the pure joy of it and, um, just enjoy it, just have fun with the development and, and it can just be yours. I'm really surprised that this is the first one you list and you didn't list puppet show first. That, that will come later. We haven't hit my numbered list yet. Okay. This is a disclaimer saying like, we're not telling you, you must do things. This is instead saying like, hey, know that if you have no interest in doing something other than conlanging, you don't have to. Right. You can just keep developing the conlang. Beyond the mandatory puppet show. Well, I mean, that will come later. You have to do at least one puppet show with your conlang. But I mean, um, uh, I should mention that, you know, uh, one of the reasons that I kept on conlanging over the years was just because I enjoyed doing it so much mm-hmm. and so really it's like you know you, you get to not the end of a project but a place where you're not feeling anymore with that project I mean my solution was always just make a new one you, you kind know? of jumped ahead to to part of my list but I did. that's cool <laughs> but yeah no David has a really good point and we'll reiterate that point later Okay. Um, because it is so important, I think, that um, some people feel like you have to be able to do uh, specific things in your conlang before you can call it, you know, finished with that project. But it, it's more about you than anything else. You're the, you're the one who decides what you're inspired by or interested in. And of course, you can always go back and like pick up an older project and dust it off and do things from there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. So disclaimer, you don't have to do anything else you can pull a david and just start a new language puppet show but if you want to mm-hmm. this episode's for you <laughs> okay another disclaimer disclaimer two don't yeah. expect other people to be excited about learning your conlang david and i have um, talked about this before in lang time chat and in other places um it doesn't often happen that other people want to um, actually use it. So definitely don't recommend your end goal being like, my friends and I are going to have conversations in my language. Um, instead, whatever um, goal you do have, make it about you. So make it something you're excited about. Make it something that you're willing to put all this time and energy into for yourself rather than hoping other people will pick it up. Yeah, in fact, if you are in a in one of these rare situations where you have a friend or friends who want to, um, you know, speak a language you've created, 
uh, I am really of the opinion that you have to do it very, very differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has to be your top goal, which is what is going to interest um, my friends, what's going to what's going to hold their interest, what's going to be something that they would actually be willing to learn and use. Uh, and so, like, for example, I would say you're probably throwing uh, naturalism out the window. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, um, it's it, it's almost like you're creating an ox slang, except rather than creating an ox slang that's tailored to, you know, some gigantic speaking community, it's just a few speakers. And even the vocabulary, especially at the beginning, should be tailored towards things that you discuss mm-hmm. and are are interested in, like probably shouldn't be how do I order at a restaurant or how do I get a taxi? How do I, how do I, you know, get uh, tickets for the opera, which seems to be like, these are like the first three things you learn and teach yourself right. books. Because of course, what they're expecting is they're teaching you a language that you're going to use when you're going to a country. And it's like, that's not what probably not what you and your friends are going to be doing and how how you're going to be using this language. And even more than that, it's not just about what you and your friends like to discuss. It's why would you use the language and chances are it's so other people don't understand. So then you Mm -hmm. have to further think about, well, what vocabulary would we need to be able to have this conversation without eavesdroppers? Um, And that's like a kind of interesting thing to think about, but like, that's really the reason you would use it unless you have like a game night where you're like oh my god we're just gonna like chat it out in the language and have some fun with it but yeah also i'm gonna throw this in i know this is totally off topic but um because i was just thinking about like oh you know what about uh, if your friends uh, if your friends do online gaming and you want to talk to each other without um other people mm-hmm. on you know uh, you know i guess if some people use discord for, server, for audio chat yeah. if you don't want them understanding um, something else that uh, I think a lot of Oxlings never took into consideration is uh, acoustics, because like, for example, we just went to the Esperanto Museum and uh, in Vienna, and Esperanto just had its 135th anniversary. So lots of people have been talking about how great it is, and it's like really, um, in terms of design, it's it's quite terrible um, in, in terms of acoustics, because like, you have a lot of importance attached to these endings. And then you have very minute differences um, in the endings in non-stress position. Mm. And so, for example, the big thing about Esperanto is that all nouns end in O, all adjectives end in A. um, And then you can pluralize them by adding a J at the end, which makes a Y sound. And then you can make them accusative by adding an N at the end. And so like, uh, you have like, you know, I don't know if televiso is a word for television. So you have, you know, televiso versus televisoi versus televisoin versus televison. And all of this is happening uh, in coda position in, un, in an unstressed syllable. It's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense that you would do that. Um, the stress should have, should have shifted. That could have been one thing that could have rescued it, or you could have just done something completely different and, you know, created a good language. But, um, look, like it's, it pays to pay attention. So this is the kind of thing where, um, you know, we were talking about this in discord with somebody else's conling, uh, where there was a lot of stuff that was happening where a consonant was changing in coda position, uh, before another syllable. Uh, in an unstressed syllable. And I said, that would be kind of like if the plural for September were September. Uh, it's like, obviously, yes, we can make this distinction, but it's such a an acoustically non-salient position that it doesn't make sense for a key morphological change to be associated with a change in that position. Anyway. Really random side note, Mm -hmm. Um, there was a a study done um, and it was for like a a psycholinguistic study to to look at the perception of language and um, specifically they played, it was like a portion from Alice in Wonderland, um, but they had changed out certain sounds in different Mm -hmm. syllables um, just to see like 
how often could people actually pick up on speech errors if mm -hmm. they like how far could you stretch the change in sound before people picked up on it like if you just changed voicing or if you change voicing in manner voicing in play you know like, so they they really messed with it to see and they told people going into it like count the number of speech errors that you hear so people were like trying to listen for the errors and the number of errors they missed in unstressed syllables like you could get away with a lot and you may be surprised at how many of those just like you just <laughs> perceive it as what it needs to be because you heard the important part those stressed bits so anyway yeah that is a, a good point um we haven't even gotten to like yeah. the main thing we're we still on the disclaimer the um all that is to say whatever using your conling looks like for you make it about you make it about what you want um don't don't expect other people to to join in and try to learn it with you. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then the first thing is share it. But what I mean by this is like share it on Fiat Lingua, share your grammar, inspire other people, um, share whatever works you have there. You could create a website. Um, a lot of conlangers have websites like David does to specifically share languages and their features. Um, you could also just do it on social media. Um, so there's a lot of Instagram and Twitter. Um, I don't know about Facebook. Oh, there is a Conlang community there. So, you know, you could potentially share features there. Um, but you could definitely share features of your language. If this is something that excites you, you could think about doing like, um, you know, like a word a day, like something like the Luxembourg challenges. They even have full year challenges where it's like create a new word every day um to you know expand your vocabulary there's even like there's one month is it february that's like the grammar month but it's like grammarary like there's there's another one that's totally about grammar but i can't remember the month or or what it is but it is a way to like not only share your language and its features but it's also a way to expand it because you're trying to make new things as you share it you could you know put up translations of like quotes or something in, on your Twitter feed or, or an Instagram post, um, idioms, common sayings, and so on. Um, it's really important though, if you're on social media and you want to actually share it with people, remember to use those hashtags. So, you know, Conlang is an important hashtag to have a lot of people follow those. Um, but also you could like make a hashtag for your language name, um, for people who, you know, want to follow along with your development, um, you know, you can create a little friend group and, and see it. So when I say share it right after saying, don't expect other people to be excited about it, the people who are going to be excited about it are fellow conlangers looking at it, not for learning it, but for being inspired by it and wanting to see what you've done. Also, um, if you're if you're going to share something um while it's most informative to like share your entire grammar uh that's really something that i think is better suited for fiat lingua you know mm -hmm. put up the grammar of your entire conlang and then uh if uh, if people are are interested it will be there and they will go to it and 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 look into it when you're sharing just on social media uh, targeted is best and it'll be different depending on whether you're doing like a post on our con links or Facebook or Twitter or uh, Instagram. Uh, but what you want to do is find some specific feature of your language that is really cool, whether it be a nominal paradigm or something that happens with agreement in certain sentences uh, or a translation, and then focus on that, put it up there and be prepared to provide scaffolding so that people can understand why it's neat. Um, and then, you know, do that with a bunch of different things. So just one one day, another one next week, and so on like that. Um, uh, and that's, of course, to, if you're just sharing like grammatical information or orthographic information, something like that, or phonological information that you want to do something like that, um, then the, the projects are always just they define themselves like the word a day, word a week. Those are yeah. really cool too. And I mean, and also on Instagram, there are definitely conlangers who just, you know, go outside and take a picture of something and then they label it in their conlang. And, yeah. you know, that can be a lot of fun and it can be neat just to see other words people are creating. So getting into a community and actually sharing it um, really helps you develop it further because you're going to need 
more things eventually to be able to share. Um, and so that's my number one piece of advice. You want to use it, share it, um, have some fun with it, um, kind of create your own way that you enjoy sharing it with other people. Yeah. Number two, you're going to see I, I do a little rainbow effect here. It's really cool. So uh, which color is Puppet Show? It's in the invisible color. For those who uh, are just listening, the first one was in red. Yes, this one is in is in a, a dark pink. Mm, um, I wouldn't call that dark pink. I would call that magenta. Well, whatever you call it, it's it's in a different color. Okay. Um, and this one I say, number two is do a deep dive, which I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, so you can really dive into your language's grammatical features. Um, and you can even design like little mini language learning kind of modules, I, I would call them for your language, not even to, to share it with other people so they learn it, but just so that way you're forced to like, what does this verb look like in all the different tenses and moods that I, I've set out to create? Um, and then I have this root with, oh, I forgot that this consonant ended here. How is that gonna interact with all of these other things going on? And so by actually creating these little, little short things, you're actually going to be using your language. Like how do, how would I order tickets to an opera in my conlang? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, writing out little dialogues. This is just, again, a way to expand it. And you can have as much fun. Like I, this speaks to my soul because I am a teacher at heart. I'm also a teacher for most of my job, um, but I am a teacher at heart. And so just creating these little lessons and formatting it and having fun. That's fun for me. And so like, this would be my idea, again, even not even to share it with other people to be like, learn it. It's really more of a way for me to organize my thoughts and say, what else do I need to consider for this language uh, to be able to develop it in a kind of systematic way? Right. I did this once for, uh, for Kamakawi. Um, Kamakawi is the language that, you know, before uh, Dothraki, it was the one that I really loved and was really proud of um, and really wanted to share for two reasons. One, I thought um, phonologically it really uh, did something that I enjoyed. Um, and the grammar I felt was uh, complete enough that um, I felt very comfortable with it and it was very easy for me to use. Uh, and then when I created the writing system, I really loved it. But um, but yeah, I created a, a series of lessons that were on my website that you could just go from one to the other. I think I ended up finishing six of them um, that taught you the language. And really, it was just fun. Um, it was uh, it was written humorously and something that I enjoyed at the time. Um, I don't know how well it, it holds up today, but um, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. And um, and it did make me think about what's the best way to like introduce these um uh, just some of the the quirky parts of of kamikawi like the um the subject switching mm -hmm. uh, the subject tracking and the um the different types of possession uh and so that was a lot of fun and if you enjoy the little lessons that you've created so much you can put it on a website or on fiat lingua mm -hmm. and that's a really good point by the way we've never had that for fiat lingua that'd be really cool it would be really cool like a little a little book but you don't even have to do finish the whole thing you could do like one lesson at a time um that would be really neat and an important uh side note about fiat lingua is you can share works in progress because you can, uh, yep. you know, you can send, hey, I, you know, had this version of my grammar. Now I've changed this or I only had one lesson last time I shared. Here's another lesson. And those files are going to be updated so people can follow along with your progress right there on the, the post for Fiat Lingua. Yeah, I think, you know, initially I was inspired because uh, the KLA, the Klingon Language Institute, uh, when I looked at it for the first time, I mm -hmm. saw that they had lessons there. Um, and they were PDF lessons. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I think you could print them out and mail them to somebody to, uh, to correct, but you know, you don't need to do that. Anymore. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, so long ago. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's, that's, uh, another option to, again, further develop something you could do with it. Um, my suggestion for number three is to think about how you would see your world through your conlang. And so David's looking at this weird, but don't worry, I, I have a whole 
scenario. Uh, no, it's not the content. It's the color. Oh, the color. It's kind of orangish. We went from red to magenta to ochre. You know what? It, it was an orange and I need you to just follow along. Okay. Okay. Um, so it can be fun to challenge yourself to label the things in your, you know, daily space, uh, with your conlang. And so like, you could even go so far as put little post-it notes, you know, as you learn another language, one of the suggestions is put post-it notes around you. So you remember the word for wall, door, floor, you know, coffee, whatever. But this is super interesting and challenging, I think, for conlingers, especially those who have created a world that is not like ours. Mm -hmm. And so maybe your world wouldn't have different words for chair and couch and, you know, things like that. So how would they see them? How would they label them? Um, also interesting is, you know, like some of our more modern technology, how would they even conceptualize that if they don't have, if it's like meant to be a medieval society or something like that? Um, just trying to like push your conlang into these boundaries. And one of the reasons I specifically mentioned this is that so many conlangers really enjoy doing translations of existing texts, like the Babel text and, you know, the Declaration of Human Rights and so on. So that way they can share it with other conlangers who have also translated it. But that means that those words are existing in, you know, English and in other languages. That doesn't necessarily mean your conlang has those specific words. And so it, doing this would really force you to start thinking about how would my speakers view these things and how can I develop words and constructions in ways that reflect my intention for the language rather than just creating a word for it because I'm trying to translate something. Something that I saw in the Conlingen documentary that just impressed me so much was, uh, was Jimin Johnson who had um, labeled the uh, spice jars in his kitchen in his conling. And I thought that was just so cool. It's something that I think is within the reach of like anybody. I mean, if, if that's what you, if that's what you cared about, you know, mm -hmm. but it's like, there's a finite number of spice jars, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's very obvious how labeling them could work. And it's something that you can do in your conling. And when it's done, it's there forever, as long as you keep them, which, uh, which has got to be really satisfying and special just every time you go to make something um, and certainly helps reinforce the words in terms of yep. language learning. I think it was just really cool. And of course, me being the kitchen person, I'm already thinking, oh my gosh, we could totally do that. I've got labels already. I can just expand them. Mm -hmm. But also I'm an office junkie person. And so like markers, pens, all my little different organization things could have a different label on it. It'd be so much fun. Um, but yeah, so like that's another thing you can do with it. Number four. <laughs> do you have do you have something to say about the color of number four? I think it's appropriate, but like I just don't understand the magenta. You know what? I just I, go with it. I wanted magenta in there somewhere. Just okay. I think it just should have gone straight from red to ochre, or or red to orange, right? All right, David's critiquing my color choices, but I was also trying to like. I last minute decided I wanted each of these to be a different color to make them pop as I went through. I gotcha. And so it was a it was a last minute. I thing. gotcha. Okay, so let's say you are thinking about seeing your world through your conlang. And you could take it one step further and you could actually journal in your language. Um, and so doing something daily would obviously reinforce it. This is really something for the people who want to learn their language at a more intimate level. Um, but you don't have to be a journaler to do this. Like you don't have to sit down and write entire paragraphs. You could just challenge yourself to sit down every day and write a sentence or two about your day in your conlang. And it doesn't even have to be about you. You could be like, two squirrels ran down the tree in the park and one did a little flip in the, in the grass, you know, like you could just, what, what you're seeing, you could narrate, you know, certain parts of your day, but really challenging yourself to actually write in your conlang will not only expand vocabulary and grammatical features. Um, but again, if your goal is to actually become familiar enough that you could, if you wanted speak in your language, doing something like this every day would really help to get you there. Uh, two things to say about this. One, um, uh, this is something that uh, Jim Henry has done for many, many years mm -hmm. in his language, uh, Gazemden, um, and it's uh, extensive. 
I mean, he's got journals and journals written in Gesenben. And so it's like, for him, this is just a language that he speaks now, uh, which is uh, tremendously impressive. Um, but one thing that uh, sometimes gets left aside, um, and even with uh, natural language learning, is that uh, as you as you write, especially as you write, um, you have the opportunity to develop a style. There's not something that you really think about when you're creating the words themselves. Um, because if you think about your own language, your 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 first language, and something like like English, for example, uh, and you think about all of the novels you've read, there will be some that you prefer over others where it's like, you know, this this writer just speaks to you. They write in a way that's very interesting. Um, and that's because there are many different ways to say the same thing. There are many different ways to use the same word. Um, like, uh, and there's just many different ways to attack uh, the, the, the idea you're trying to convey. You know, I have never read the um, the uh, Douglas Adams books, which have a title that I should know off the top of my head. Because, the Hitchhiker's Guide thank to you, the Hitchhiker's Galaxy. Guide to the Galaxy. I've never read them, but there was something that struck me uh, uh, when a friend told me about a particular line. I think it was James Barry who actually told me about this. Um, it was either that or Scott um, Scott Yarbrough. Sorry, listing names here, but they told me about this one particular sentence and I was like, that's brilliant. Um, the, it, it was a, a something that had happened, like I think it was towards the beginning where you know the world is being thrown into chaos. And, uh, and the, the line that is, that is written is, um, they floated in the air much the way that a bowling ball does not. <laughs> it's like, it's, it was just a, a wonderfully, charming way of saying that um and it's like as you're writing you can start to think about these types of things well what word do i want to use here can i use this word in this way uh you know uh, shakespeare gets a lot of credit for inventing a lot of words and turns of phrases and that's because he was just trying and also because the iambic pentameter probably forced mm -hmm. his hand in a few places but he was just taking the English that he had and saying, well, what are some different ways that I can say this? What are some interesting ways I can say this? What are some ways that I can make this character say this that helps to personify them a little bit? And he even has more fun with it. So like there's um, in uh, Much Ado About Nothing, there's this character uh, played by Michael Keaton in the movie who um, he says things and basically uses words incorrectly. Um, and like he's like he says, like there were these two auspicious individuals when what he meant was suspicious, right? Um, and so it's just funny because he's using words in a completely incorrect way. But ultimately, like that's how we get to new meanings anyway. Um, that was how we got Nimrod. That's one of my favorite examples. Uh, so from Bugs Bunny, right? He he calls Elmer Fudd Nimrod. Uh, which is, uh, because of Bugs Bunny entered our language, meaning like, you know, a stupid person or a moron. But what he actually meant, Nimrod was a reference to uh, a very, like a great hunter in the Bible or something. It's so in it's the like, Bible. Yeah, there you go. Somebody who was, like, was a really good, really proficient hunter. So he was calling him Nimrod ironically, mm -hmm. much the same way, like if somebody was really bad at basketball, they'd be like, hey, Michael Jordan, what are you doing? And like something like that. But because not enough people knew the reference, suddenly they just thought Nimrod was another word for idiot. And so there it became. And it, it was especially influential because kids picked it up. Oh, yeah. And they carried it with them from there. But anyway, yeah. that's a really good example. All right. So I forgot what time we started, but I'm like, we're only on number four. We're good. Okay. We have more to get through here. Mm. Create a reference guide. Now this is separate from the like kind of linguistic feature documentation. What I mean here um, is uh, I was thinking of one of my students who had actually created like a little encyclopedia written in her conlang about her con world. And so mm. like the con world itself had, you know, like some animals and plants that we wouldn't have. Now, mind you, she was an artist, so these were all accompanied by like pictures and diagrams and things like that. But then she actually wrote out encyclopedia style to like describe what is this plant, what is it used for, how would you find it, where does it grow, 
Um, you know, this animal, what does it eat? So it was like, you know, very sort of technical writing um, for her con line, but she had like created it in mind for like the kids of her world. So it's sort of like an illustrated um, encyclopedia that you would give to a, a kid to help them learn about, you know, plants and, you know, don't eat this, it's poisonous or things like that. Um, and so like, you could have some fun with that and you don't have to be an artist like that to be able to do it. You could just start creating little entries, um, that are about your world or about different, you know, speaking speakers and groups, or maybe, you know, like there's a, a little history that you want to write up and you can actually create it in your conlang, um, which again, pushes you because it's going to mean you have to develop and be able to talk about these things in your conlang. Um, a sort of meta development, if you will. Um, and it also means you can kind of have fun building out the world as you're, as you're doing it. Uh, children's books, children's picture books can be especially instructive here because uh, they will use, you know, your own language, language you're familiar with in a way that will be comprehensible to children, you know, not even for them to read on their own, but to have read to them. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, like, it's kind of interesting the things that they do it's like yeah a lot of them teach you about colors animals and uh, numbers mm -hmm. the alphabet um and maybe like some places uh and we'll do so with very minimal vocabulary um and then increasing uh, in, in, with little bits so it's like, especially the ones once you get to the the more complex stories when it's aimed at like three and four and five-year-olds, it's interesting to take a look at that language and see what words they use and what mm -hmm. words they don't use um, and, and how they structure a story a way that would be totally different for somebody who's older and expected to be have a much larger vocabulary right. and better command of the language. So uh, those can be great inspirations for what you might do with yours. Mm -hmm. And of course, once you create it, you could share it on Fiat Lingua. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Right. I'm going to just keep plugging all of these you could share um, to, to inspire other mm -hmm. people. You could go all Tolkien and write. So like if you're a fiction writer, you could actually, you know, write it and use pieces of your language in it. And it's not even it doesn't even need to be for publication. It could, again, be for personal enjoyment. Um, so you could definitely fictionalize, you know, write up stories about your world. Um, but you could also write what would be fiction or mythological or lore in your own world, in your conlang. So like you could write little stories, like you had said, the children's books, um, you know, like what stories would you tell children and actually write it in your conlang? Um, and so like, I think that also offers because a lot of people are like, oh, do I have to do what Tolkien did? No, like, first of all, this is just one suggestion out of many, and that's only for people who enjoy writing. And if you enjoy writing fiction and you want to write a novel, you know, using your language, then amazing, go for it. Um, but if you don't want to do that, but you still want to have fun with this sort of fiction aspect, create little stories in your conlang that would be important to your speakers. Um, one of the assignments that I would give um, my students in my class was to write a very short um, fable or origin story that their people would, you know, that their speakers would tell each other. Um, because one, it's translation. So it really requires you to, again, go into your language and think about, you know, how would this be structured and how would this be? But it also gives you a chance to sort of build out, you know, aspects of their culture in terms of, well, what would they believe about the world? Um, you know, what stories would be important to them? Um, how would they create something like Aesop's fables where it's like these little short things to, to share and teach you lessons? What lessons would they wanna share? So anyway, it's just like a really neat way to expand um, in ways that you, you don't have to be Tolkien to enjoy. Uh, I have uh, some news to share on that front. It's very exciting. So uh, Jim Hopkins, who created the Atlanti language, um, he wrote a novel a while back called Circle of the Lantern, and he recently completed a complete translation of the novel into oh Atlanti. Gosh. Wow. And uh, that will be going up on Fiat Lingua on December 1st. Um, mm. and, uh, and I did that because... Um, I, I've noted historically that the fiat linguists that get the most views are those that go up on December 1st and January 1st. So 
um, we you can look forward to that. And it's like, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously you'd be able to have to uh, understand it, Lonnie, to read it. But even so, just looking at it is impressive. I'm going to say that the reason that those are the biggest hits are Lexember. <laughs> More conlingers are aware of sharing and, you know, getting into that. So I'm going to go ahead and attribute it to that. I was figuring more free time in December and then January 1st, people have, you know, uh, goals. And okay, like... true, true. Who has more free time in December? That's when it's like event after event and and thing after thing. Socially, yes. Mm. But in terms of work, you have a lot, uh, okay. a lot more time, you know. Right. Well, I did not because that was usually the end of my semester and it was stress. So December was not like. Lottie Dottie. Hmm. And then my brain was dead after I finished it. So this was, by the way, was the most striking color change. It, um, you can go back and review the footage. I raised my eyebrows, both of them. Anyway, love it. <laughs> All right. So that was number six. Number seven, you can make art. So this is beyond thinking about, um, you know, fiction stories, etc. You could actually make um, all sorts of different kinds of art that is in your conlang or just related to your conlang. So for some of you, this could sound like super exciting. So, you know, you could go full on artsy and like paint a mural, right? That like depicts a story from, from your speaker's world. You could also, you know, do something. I know some conlangers actually create recipes in their conlang mm -hmm. to represent what, you know, would be eaten for special occasions um, by their speakers. So like that is another way to make art, food is art. Um, if you like the idea, but you're kind of intimidated by those bigger things, which I totally understand, you can also um, just do things like word art and like write out some of your favorite words or sayings in your conlang's orthography to put up in your space around you to make it all conlingy and happy. And if you don't have a, an orthography specific to your conlang, you know, you could just write it out and use pretty fonts and print it out, right? And just put it up in your space. Um, so like art doesn't have to be something that's um, really big and intimidating with huge projects. Just being able to look up on the wall. And like I used to have um, in my office um, back when I was on campus as a professor, um, in my office, I had a sign saying, welcome to my office in a conlang. And every time I looked up at it, it made me happy. And it was just printed out. Like it wasn't even like full decorated or in color because I just had a black and white printer. And so like, that was just something I was able to put on my wall and it, it made me smile every time I saw it. Yeah, let me, let me show you a couple things. Um, that I think are, are really interesting here. I probably should have gotten up while you were speaking. If you planned on showing things, then yeah. And I'm very yeah. curious, like I'm, I'm trying to watch where he's going. Uh, this... Yeah, well, the thing is there are so many options now that you have, uh, you can print on demand anything. I mean, it's not cost effective in terms of like, you know, you know suddenly a t-shirt costs like 25 bucks, but... <gasps> Yesterday you had on your high guessy t-shirt, but you don't have it on anymore, but that's one. But yeah, you can make t-shirts and these. Uh, so what I'm holding up, these are coasters that we have here in the house. Um, and they, uh, we have a whole bunch of different ones and they have just a letter uh, in different orthographies that I've created. The two that I showed, the first was Kamikawi, and next was from uh, the Chukobsa that I did for Dune. Uh, and there are a bunch more. Um, and they're just neat. It's like, you know, it, it's simple. It's, uh, it, it's like a, a big one-time cost. I think we did, I don't know how many, like we did like 20 of them and it costs like $200, which is, you know, not great, right? It's not great, but I do want to say like, let's say you're excited by this idea, but you don't have, um, you know, the finances to be able to invest in something like this. Um, one way that you could make it cheaper is that um, if you get ceramic, like ceramic dishes, things mm -hmm. that um, are, are ceramic that you can bake, right? They have to be bakeable things. Write on it in Sharpie and then bake it in the oven. It bakes the Sharpie ink onto the, the dish. So that way you can have it. So like you can make much cheaper because uh, you can buy those, you know, like at Target or whatever for like the, the cheap, you just want like the white backgrounds, the plain backgrounds. So that way you can write in whatever color or whatever Sharpie you want. Um, but that's a fun way to make it something that you could have up in the house. Um, 
you wouldn't want to run it through the dishwasher, but like you could, like I've hand washed things with that Sharpie writing baked onto it. So look up advice for that because online things will tell you better how to do that. But that would be a way to create something like what David just showed you that you could have around the house um, for something that you don't have to pay all that extra money, you know, to be able to get. Well, I mean, that could get on an entirely separate subject, but there are a lot of things that you can pay for to get them easily, mm -hmm. uh, you know, or you can have there are more difficult ways to do it cheaply mm -hmm. but uh, I think in general the idea is um, look at the things that you have around the house look at the things you have up on the on your walls look at the things you use for decorations uh, like we have the ability to customize everything mm -hmm. picture frames I mean uh, cell phone cases mm -hmm. um, all of this stuff is stuff that you could customize with your conling um, and the other thing that I wanted to show this is something that that Jessie made for me. She's made me two rings um, that have um, inscriptions from two of the languages we've made. I don't know. Oh, you can kind of see it. Yeah. Obviously, it. as a podcast, you can't see it. This one says, Yeah. And then this one uh, from the upcoming Vampire Academy. Really pleased by I'm going to need your help remembering how to pronounce that one. Oh, let's see. Because um, <laughs> it's in a different. So that's one, um, and then that one is. Um, I remember it had a and a a something. Bon. Oh, jibé bon maybe. A jibé, a jibé bon. That yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> um, they, they both mean I love you. It's very nice. Yes, it is. Um, and those, I by the these. way. Um, mm. You can find artists who do those kinds of things on on like Etsy or other art sites um, mm -hmm. to like give to artists doing, you know, these kinds of things directly. And so that's kind of that is very exciting. So yeah. you can make art, however art looks for you. Mm -hmm. You can make a game, which mm -hmm. that is like all of Lang Time was inspired by David mm -hmm. wanting to make a game that utilized, you know, words in these conlangs. And so like, you could definitely do that. You could be like David and do something um, that's, you know, bigger, that's going to take a lot of time, energy to develop and get your rules for. Mm -hmm. But let's say you like games and you don't want to do all that development. You could do something as simple as getting cardstock and making a matching game where it's, you know, the flip the cards over and oh, find yeah. the matching words in your language or whatever. Um, and that could be something that you could share with with people. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a, a regular game group, if you create some sort of game, you could actually play it with them and and have some fun with it. Um, and yeah, so that that's another idea. Make a game out of it. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to go even um, even simpler. Uh, so like, you know, you like games, but you don't have it within you to make a game. Um, you could take a game that you play a lot mm -hmm. and just make new, um, you know, new things for it using your conlang. Mm -hmm. One that jumped to mind for me was uh, was Settlers of Catan, um, because there's not a lot of, um, I mean, if you're, the rules are one thing, but aside from the rules, the actual stuff that you mm -hmm. see, there's not a lot of text there. Mm -hmm. So it's like you could uh, uh, produce any number of cards where it's like suddenly it uses your word for sheep, your mm -hmm. word for um, wood and so on um, and produce those little print cards for everybody that has the same graphics, but it just has your um, your conlang text on it, which could be fun. Um, you could also go a little bit further and then just replace the actual like meeples and stuff with your own stuff like if for example say you wanted to do Catan but in your own world maybe you don't have sheep maybe mm -hmm. you have different things you want to replace it with a different animal you could do that it's a little bit more difficult but it's possible uh, and if you ever want to get help with creating things like that um, you could go to board game geek there are a lot of places where like you can actually even download the assets and then customize them the way that you like if you if you hunt around on the forums there mm -hmm. um, so that could be a lot of fun um i had an oh um another game that doesn't have a lot of tech space um what's it called century road uh this we did the spice road edition oh, with yeah, the little yeah, blocks yeah. um because it's like you're trading out supplies so same thing like you could have your own words for that or decide what would be important and you know like what would be worth more to to them and and you could same thing kind of create your own 
words and and whatnot to go along with what you have. Yeah, and and something else though, one of the wonders of the internet is that you can be connected to people who have different skills. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you did want to do something a bit a bit more ambitious, but you're not uh, particularly artistic, is that you could hook up with somebody else who is, mm -hmm. and either pay them or maybe barter. Like you know, they are not a conlinger but need one for something. You know, you could trade art for a conling or something like that. But uh, it's it's a lot easier to do now than it was in, say, the 90s. You were just stuck with your own skills. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and also, um, if this intrigues you, um, you can also think about what games would your speakers play and actually develop a game that's relevant to your con world um, and write out the directions in your con lang. Uh, so, you know, like you can definitely make it much more intense. Um, or maybe you don't actually develop the game, you just write out the rules of what they would do. Um, like kids games or like, you know, they don't have hula hoops, what do they do? <laughs> um, so you could have fun uh, just thinking about what games would be in the world um, if you don't wanna actually design your own game for, for use in our world. Um, so those are all different things. And actually, as we were talking, I forgot to mention uh, whenever I was writing about fiction, uh, or whenever I was talking about the the fiction idea, you could also do you know poetry in your language. You could write songs in your language. Um, if you're a musician, you could there because like John Quijada has all those Ithquil songs. Mm -hmm. um, there are just so many ways that you could expand creatively depending on what you are interested in and um, what you want to do for that. Uh, so those that was number eight. Number nine is to develop a family. So like you can create a language family, the color. It's... Oh, a language family. Oh, okay. I was like, it wasn't the color this time, which is a purple. Um, <laughs> it, I mean, language family, which, you know, there are different ways you could do it. You could go back to your proto forms and then um, create a sister language for, for your current conlang. Or you could treat your current conlang as a mother language. So it's already, you know, developed from its protoform or, or however you got your current language. Um, and then you could develop it into daughter languages and, you know, go from there and say what happens, you know, if these speakers branch out. And so moving away from, you know, what can you do in more creative ways? And, um, and by creative ways, I mean like creating art and things like that. And moving back into what can I do with it, specifically thinking linguistically, you can make a family. Oh, that's cool. Uh, I've, it's something that you always want to have. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, like if you're, if you're gonna go all for it, you could actually have like daughter languages versus say, okay, so these two daughter languages, they start intermingling and maybe there's a Creole now, like you could like do all sorts of different things. Um, and this would be also further developing the world. And at some point you are gonna have this outline of this whole world for when these speakers moved here versus these speakers moved in this location. And then did they ever intermingle? back again and you know it's quite an undertaking so it is creative i used that wrong i feel really bad for saying i'm moving away from creative things this is still totally creative i just mm -hmm. meant away from the art type things and into yeah, the creation yeah, yeah yeah Ugh, using words wrong that's what happens when that word creative can be applied to so many different things <laughs> all right number 10 was start a new conlang, which is what David had already talked about. Um, you don't have to keep working on the same conlang. Um, and in fact, what you may have discovered is as you were creating um, the conlang you were working on, that there were features you wanted to try out. And um, it doesn't make sense to use all the features in one conlang. And so maybe you want to start a new one to just try out some different features. Um, and it could be totally new, you know, new speakers, new world, new everything. Um, but another thing you could do is think about your world, um, like if you've created your own sort of con world area, think about what other speakers might exist there and actually start a new conlang for that same world um, that's totally unrelated. So it's still a new project um, because then, you know, down the line with the, the last one and with this one, another thing you can think about is how would words be borrowed from one, you know, daughter language to another or from one completely different conlang to another. Um, and this is something that 
we have earmarked for a future topic, by the way, um, is talking about borrowing into conlangs uh, from other conlangs. Yeah. Um, and so like this is definitely as well as talking more about how to evolve um, different forms, because that's another thing that people have asked for. So the last two suggestions, uh, this one and the one before it, are ones that we have earmarked to talk more about in future episodes of Link Time Chat um, to talk about, you know, how do you further evolve more languages related to yours, or how do you think about borrowing um, between conlangs? And so this is this is something that you could do, start a new language. Mm -hmm. It's it's certainly what I always did um, because I just enjoyed it. Um, and uh, it's kind of like, I guess, at the beginning, right, you're doing a lot of uh, grammar work, um, which is which feels different from creating vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And with enough conlangs, you'll always have the opportunity to create new vocabulary. Uh, to create a new grammar is something that you only really get at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes you just get the feeling that you want to do that. And so yeah. it's not just about the grammar for me. There are also <laughs> times when I, I want to try out a, a whole different set of sounds or like phonotactically, I want to think about how would a, you know, vowel heavy versus consonant heavy, or how would, you know, like this kind of language. So like, I, I, often start new languages as well. Probably another reason we work well together because it's like, oh, okay, let's let's do a new one. Um, and part of that is because of just what David said, where it's, you know, there's a feature that excites me and I want to try it out. Makes no sense for my current conlang to have it. So start a new one. I want to try that out and see what it looks like. And so for me, it's also a, a very deep learning process every time I start a new one, because um, you have to understand the features in ways that are to me deeper than being able to just look at a language that has it and being able to say, oh, look, this is what this prefix does or whatever. But trying to actually develop it on your own, I think is a, a very good mental exercise. And it like that's part of what excites me with the conlanging is thinking about how would this work? And you're absolutely right. Like once you actually have that sort of foundation in place, you can always go back and, and create more vocabulary. Um, but yeah, you only get that initial opportunity to build the foundation from, you know, the sounds you choose and the ways that they're going to work together to that grammar portion. Um, and so it's very exciting to me to be able to see how all of them can be. Yeah. All right. Number 10 was the last, by the way. Mm. I think I have. Yes, I do have one more slide. It's very important. Whatever you do, you need to have fun with it. Because mm -hmm. uh, really the most important thing is that you're enjoying what you do when you conlang. Um, and so if you're working on a project and you, it's just absolutely not inspiring and you're having to force yourself to work every you know day on it or every week or whatever, um, take a step back and think about like, why, why is it no longer um, exciting for me? Is it because I wanna do something different in terms of you know making a new language? Is it because I want to be able to flex my creative muscles? Um, remember that you can do things like, like, I mean, I, I doodle, right? Like, so I make those little Instagram drawings and sometimes I don't even have a word in the language yet to be able to associate with it, but it's just exciting sometimes to be able to just sit down and be like, oh, here's what the speaker would be doing on their daily walk or whatever. Um, and that's still related to it in a way that you're thinking about your world, your speakers and your language. And so maybe you just need to take a break from the like really strict linguistic side and, and expand it in other ways. Um, and then come back to it because eventually you will need more words and things to be able to actually talk about them. The nice thing about a conling is it's kind of like a Pokemon when they go in the Pokeball. They just sit there. They're still there for you when you go back to it. True. The only thing that might change is you and your understanding of the conling. So it's nice to um, write in some, I want to say instructions, but to figure out how to get to get back mm -hmm. to it, you know, how to, how to get back your, your understanding of it. Um, like for me, it just takes a little time looking at the entries, taking a look at the grammar and looking at a previous translation. And it's like, all right, I, I get this again. Mm -hmm. um, if I forget, like something like Dothraki, I'm not going to forget, but um, 
but like it's just so that you're in the same place to be able to create new vocabulary and to be able to do translations that it's still there um, in your head and you're able to access it. So um, if you can figure out for yourself what helps you get back into the headspace of this conling, be sure you put it somewhere so that you know how to get back to it. That's a really good point. I also know that some um, conlingers get a little bit distressed when they see past translations they've done and they're like, oh, I would do that totally different, hmm. you know, now. Um, and that's no reason for distress. That's just growth of the language, um, growth of, of you as a translator, conlinger, whatever. Um, but also remember that like in the world, some of us are going to, like you had mentioned, style mm -hmm. is very different. And so you yeah. can always just, you know, it's, it's growth, it's change. Um, and so there's no, no need to go back and throw everything out. If you're not happy with the, the last translation, do a new one. And it could be fun to compare. Yeah. You could even do a cute, uh, a fun little comparison kind of article and put it on Fiat Lingua to be like, here's yeah. where I was a year ago. And now here's, here's where I am. And here's the features and how they've changed, or here's how my understanding has changed. That'd be really cool. Yeah. See so many things you can share on Fiat Lingua. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know, um, and I mean, you all, if you've listened to all the podcasts, then then you know that I struggle with sharing work. And so if you are a person who's like, yeah, they keep talking about Fiat Lingua and, and sharing things, but that's really terrifying. I completely understand. And you don't have to share it that way. Um, really just having it for yourself can be an amazing thing to, to have just right there. So if you like the idea, do a, a translation comparison and you can just keep it right there and enjoy, you know, looking back on it. So if it terrifies you completely understand, but please also know that in the realm of conlangers, I think most of us are in the same area where it's like, we just get excited to see what gets shared. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, it's not like we're sharing it to, well, I'm going to tell you everything you did wrong. Mm -hmm. It's your language. You get to decide what, how it works. Anyway, that's my little plug there. Right. Um, one other thing that I meant to discuss with you before we started recording. One answer. <laughs> so here's where the puppet show happens. Um, as I was writing out notes with like, what can you do with conlangs? Um, so much of it comes back to the share it aspect. And so I started thinking about our patrons and our mm -hmm. discord and how we do have areas to share conlangs. Um, but I want to create a category of channels that is more specific to sharing really specific details about your conlang. Things like a question of the week, like what is one example of assimilation in your conlang? Or what is one example of a derivation turning nouns into verbs in your conlang? Something like that. So that way people can just see some ideas for really different aspects of conlanging in each other's work. And just to share, not to, again, it's not like the conlang feature channel where it's like get, you know, critique or feedback or whatever. It's really more mm -hmm. of a space to share. Um, and I also want to create a channel. This would all be future, by the way, because right now I'm a little overwhelmed with a current project that I have to finish by the end of the month, um, by August, really. But anyway, once I finish that, what I want to do is put some love into creating these spaces to share within Discord, within our community, where you may feel more comfortable sharing. That's a cool idea. I like See, that. Another idea is a channel for a digital card exchange, because when I really liked there used to be a, a snail mail conlang card exchange um, mm -hmm. for different holidays, uh, but we could totally do that digitally and like do yeah. a little like what holidays would your world have? And if it's a holiday for them, share a card Yeah, Amanda, in this digital space. Amanda Babcock Fro started that. She's the creator of Marecki. Um, that was really cool. It was really cool. And this way everybody would get to see you know, if you want, if you have something to share, you could share it. So anyway, look for that in the future when I have the mental space to actually organize it in a way that will be a little bit less haphazard than my current notes. Um, but I do want to create spaces, more spaces to really guide you through sharing if 
you know, if that's something that scares you, um, because if it, if it's not something that scares you, then send in everything to Fiat Lingua, create Mm -hmm. a website, do that. Um, but I also want to create a, a good spot for all of us to feel a little bit safer. Sounds good. I like it. Well, good. Because I just announced it on the chat podcast without talking to you first. And I meant to tell you that this was an idea I had, but then we started recording and I was like, well, David will go along. I like spontaneity. Good, good. All right. So that, that was my 10 cents penny for each idea on, on what you could do with your con language you developed it. All right. And so now we're just going to do our puppet show. So get your character ready. I am terrified. Okay. So podcast wise, all you're hearing is David doing. He's, <laughs> he's doing his fingers in a little devil. Oh, God. Huh? <laughs> I actually understood that. <laughs> <laughs> a little Chikoksa for you. you um, all right. So we're going to end here. Um, hope that you were inspired by at least one idea. <laughs> and um, we will see you next time. Um, stay grammar. Bye, everybody. Bye.